0: Thanks, Drew. I've entitled the series that we're jumping into in Pharaoh's house. Um, the next, actually, today we're going to land uh, in Egypt, but the next 450 years or so of our story is actually God drawing in this family that he has chosen into Egypt, into Pharaoh's house, and they stay there for about 450 years, which it's a long time and yet he's accomplishing his purposes. So this is what I'm gonna do today. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna, we're gonna take the next steps in our story, which I'm gonna be honest, this has been great. These stories are crazy, right? But amazing and God's faithfulness is so evident. Actually these stories give me hope. But today I wanna go after uh, a particular component of humanism. Humanism is just the philosophy of today that suggests that basically I am a god to myself and that to live the best life that I can possibly live, I must uh, self-actualize, that is, I must listen only to myself, submit only to myself, and follow only what my own heart tells me. There are components of that message that are wrapped into Christian thinking. And this is especially true for young people today. There are components of humanism that have attached themselves to Christian thought. And I want to do a little bit today to unattach those things, looking at the life of Joseph. So, you remember where we left our story last week? Jacob is cowering in fear because he has to go meet his brother, he sends sheep by bunches then goats and then donkeys and then cows and he tells each of his groups of servants he says when you meet Esau tell him this is a gift from your brother Jacob sends his family he sends his uh his basically his concubines with their kids and then Leah and then Rachel with with Joseph and then he's last by himself That part of the story is actually kind of anticlimactic. Esau sees Jacob from a distance. He runs to him, gives him a big hug, cries on his shoulders, and he says, Jacob, I've missed you so much. Apparently Esau had been to Fresh Start in the 20 years. During, (laughs) Jacob had not, right? What's fascinating to me is that Jacob had, in his own imaginations, had worked himself into a state of just like, consuming fear. Isn't that fascinating? And then he discovers that that it was it was all for naught. There was nothing to be afraid of. So, Jacob returns home with his family and all of his estate, his ranch basically, to settle back down uh, where Abraham and Isaac had lived. And now there's there's a couple of chapters in here that I'm going to skip over with some some sort of subplots to the story that I'm not gonna cover today, but there's one detail that I want to include from these chapters that I'm gonna skip before we talk about Joseph. That is that, you remember Rachel? She was the favored wife, right? Uh, She finally had a son named Joseph, and then after they returned home, uh, Rachel had one more son, Benjamin. But during childbirth uh, in delivering Benjamin, Rachel died. And so she left uh, Jacob, his, the wife that he loved, remember the whole favoritism thing, the wife that he loved passed away, but died in childbirth and gave Jacob another son. So Joseph has a little brother named Benjamin. So if you weren't here last week, one of the things I said last week is don't ask me next week where all the drama came from. Do you remember me saying that? So if you weren't here last week, some of this will be a little bit of context, but there is, there is a, a lot of value disparity, favoritism going on in this household. So this story starts out this way, in Genesis 37. Joseph was 17 years old, and Joseph was dad's favorite. The son of Rachel, his favorite. It says that Joseph was dad's favorite and it gives us a couple of other details about Joseph. Another detail it tells us in the story is that Joseph was a tattletale. So, really the only thing worse than a favorite child is a annoying favorite child, right? A tattletale favorite child. It actually says that uh, Joseph used to go out, he would check on his brothers, uh, taking care of the flocks, doing the work, and then he would come home and say to his dad they're not doing a very good job you would not be happy with the job that they're doing and as a result of this those two combined he's the favorite son he's a tattles tale it says that his brothers hated him Genesis 37 verse 3 now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his sons You almost get the impression that's like sum total, right? He loved him more than all of his sons combined. Because he was the son of his old age, he was also the son of Rachel, and he made him a very colored tunic, a very bright cloak that set him apart. Uh, It's a little bit difficult to understand the significance of this today because we buy, you know, clothes on discount for 29 bucks. At this time in history, everything was handmade. This is expensive. So, this was like when you got something like this, this was like a lifetime gift. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, and so they hated him. And they could not speak to him on friendly terms. These guys don't get along. So, Joseph is going to grow up and he's gonna figure some things out. So just keep that in mind. But that's ahead of us. Joseph is 17 years old, and he's all of 17 years old. Joseph has a dream. And he thinks to himself, you know what, I bet my brothers would love to hear this dream that I had. (laughs) And so he gathers his brothers and he says, hey guys, I had the craziest dream. You're not gonna believe it. So there we were, out in the field, and we were harvesting grain and putting them together in sheaves, and my, my bunch of grain, all stood up straight. And the craziest thing, your sheaves all gathered around mine and bowed down to it. (laughs) Isn't that a great dream? It says that Joseph's brothers despised him for his dream. Joseph is not picking up on the clues. Joseph has another dream. Now, we can't fault him for his dreams, right? I've had dreams that were crazy, and I'm not going to tell him, right? (laughs) Joseph doesn't have that filter. So he calls his brothers again and says, Hey, guys, I had another dream. You're not going to believe it. Let me tell you how it went. There I was in my dream, minding my own business, And there was the sun and the moon and 11 stars. And they all bowed down to me." (laughs) Even Jacob, even Jacob, his dad was like, bro, (laughs) you got to stop. Are you saying mom and dad and all of your siblings are going to worship at your feet? Is that what you're projecting? It doesn't actually say Joseph's response, but I imagine it was something like, hey, you tell me, I'm just, I'm just reporting the dream. <clears throat> but it says in the story, it says that while Jacob corrected him, it says that Jacob kept these things in mind. It's kind of like when Mary treasured these things in her heart, right? So Jacob on the one hand realizes, dude, you got to chill out. Your brothers are, they're not happy with you. At the same time, he was like, that's a really interesting dream. I wonder if that's anything, right? A little bit of time goes by, brothers head out to take their flocks to greener pasture, and Jacob calls 17-year-old Joseph the tattletale in and says, hey, Joseph, do you want to go check on your brothers? And the story actually says, Genesis 37, Joseph says, why, yes, I do. (laughs) Titled little punk. And so he does. He goes out to check on his brothers. Says he went to where they were supposed to be in Shechem. They weren't there. He finds a local. He says, hey, 10 guys, lots of sheep, goats. Have you seen them? Cows? And he said, oh, yeah, they went on to Shechem. So he continues on to find his brothers And it says that his brothers saw him from a distance. Now, how would they know it was Joseph from a distance? (laughs) Because Joseph was wearing his coat. I'm going to go see the boys. I'm going to put on my coat. They saw him from a distance. And they plotted to put him to death. Now, I have eight brothers. And over the course of my lifetime, there's been some sibling rivalry. This is kind of next level. Genesis 37, 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's throw him in one of these empty pits. And then we'll tell dad a wild beast devoured him. And then let's see what will become of his dreams. Understand, they're not just trying to do away with Joseph. They're trying to do away with Joseph's dream, right? Well, the oldest boy, Reuben, in a typical sort of responsible way intervenes and he says, hey, let's not, let's not kill him. Uh, Let's throw him in a pit and just let him die there. And it says that Reuben did this because he had planned to later come back and rescue Joseph and set him free. And they said, okay, that's actually easier. I mean, than physically putting him to death. We'll just throw him in a pit. So they threw Joseph in a pit and then This is kind of like the darkness of the story. It says they threw him in a pit, and then they sat down for lunch. You know, just a typical day at work. They sit down for lunch, and as they're eating lunch, they notice in the distance there's a band of traders. Uh, uh, Traders as in trade. A band of Ishmaelites and Midianites. Now, understand, uh, Ishmaelites, remember Isaac and Ishmael? And Midianites, we didn't actually cover this, but Midian is Isaac and Ishmael's other half-brother. When Abraham was old, he took another wife for himself, Keturah, and she had six sons. So Ishmaelites and Midianites are these boys' cousins. And they said, hey guys, you wanna buy this kid from us? In fact, one of the brothers said, you know, he is our brother, so as brothers, let's just sell him, not kill him. You know, that's more brotherly. And so they sold him for 20 shekels of silver to be sold as a slave. And they take off. And we don't know what happened during this, uh, this brief period of time, but Reuben was not around. And it says that Reuben came back later, and he looked in the pit to find his brother, and he realized the pit was empty. And so he went to his nine brothers, and he said, Joseph's gone. He's not in the pit. And the brothers said, oh, yeah, craziest thing. We just sold them to our cousins, 20 shekels of silver. And so those 10 boys took Joseph's colored coat, shredded it, took a small goat, killed it, and took the blood of that goat and caked it into the garment, to the shredded garment. And they took the garment back home and presented it to their dad and said, we found this garment in the wilderness. Do you think it might be Joseph's? So if I'm God, I'm pretty much done with these guys at this point, but that's just me. Jacob confirmed that it was, in fact, his son's cloak. And and Jacob concluded that Joseph had been devoured by a beast of the wilderness, a lion or something similar. It says that Jacob went into mourning for many days. And after many days of mourning, his family intervened, but to no avail, In fact, Jacob says at that time, I will go to my grave in mourning for my son, the son whom I loved. Meanwhile, Joseph is headed down to Egypt. Joseph arrives in Egypt. He's put on the slave market for sale. And Joseph is snatched up by the captain of Pharaoh's bodyguards, a man named Potiphar. I didn't realize until I was prepping for this this teaching and this study. Uh, there's actually no book of the Bible that talks about dreams more than Genesis does. There's more references to dreams in Genesis than any other book of the Bible, and this obviously is a critical one, right? This dream is going to become more relevant as we go forward. Uh, I want to define just really quickly, a dream is really any sort of picture or vision that you hold for yourself and your future. Uh, A dream might actually come as a dream, it might not be a sleeping dream, it might be a a waking dream, but it's an idea, it's a picture of of what lays ahead, right, what lies ahead. So I'm going to come after fairly directly how uh, secular humanistic thinking in regards to dreams has interwoven itself into Christian thinking. i want to offer you just three observations from this story but also b- more broadly about dreams. Number one, do not follow your dreams. Follow God. Now, I want to unpack this carefully. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have dreams. And I'm not saying that uh, dreams are unimportant. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go after something. What I'm suggesting is that if you have any ideal version of your future, that you begin to serve as a higher priority than serving God, it will ruin you. Imagine the damage, the further damage Joseph would have done to his family, given the opportunity, if he had begun to serve his dreams by his own strength and power. Oh, I will be the one that you all bow down to. No, this is something that God gave him. And the fulfillment of this dream is wrapped up in God's ability to fulfill it. There's such a fascinating discussion, and I, I, want, I want to introduce it to you. Uh, it's, there's a discussion in Deuteronomy 13 and Jeremiah 23, and they're basically the same, but let me show you the one in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13, this is actually looking ahead to the future. God warns his people. He says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams rises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let's go after other gods, gods that you have not known. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that fascinating? He says... There will be people who come along, dreamers of dreams, who will encourage you to pursue something other than the God that you have served. These weren't just little statues. These were statues with permissions. This, this God allows me to pursue financial gain at any cost or to express my sexuality at any cost. So these are something that we go after to serve, right, for our own appetites. He says, this is what's going to happen. Dreamers of dreams will come along, and they'll say, oh, yes, you can live this lifestyle. That's fine. Uh, in fact, they'll encourage you into it. And then he says, and they may, even, they may even provide supporting evidence to make you believe that God is okay with it. And what's going on? He says it's a test. Will you take that and go after that at the expense of your relationship with God? Will you serve something other than God in that moment when everything seems to align and everyone seems to agree and there is even confirming evidence? The substitute God of today's dreams is the God of self. If you dream it, you can achieve it. Follow your dreams and all of your dreams will come true. (laughs) To make your dreams that ideal vision of a preferred future, your highest pursuit in life is to fail the test of idolatry. It's to say, I will go after this first. And I would suggest, do not follow your dreams ultimately. Follow God right now today. Say yes to him. Ecclesiastes 5-7, for in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. Make that a priority. Number two, God-given dreams are a God-given test. Even dreams that do come from God about your future are a God-given test. So hear me on this point. It is an extremely reliable and predictable strategy of God to speak to his children about his desired future for them and then to wait for a period of time while giving no indication of fulfillment. God does it all the time. He tells Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a son. And then what happened? They didn't have a son. And then what happened? They still didn't have a son. And then what happened? They continue to not have a son. And finally, Abraham says, God clearly needs our help, right? we got to make some things happen here. God-given dreams are a God-given test. Let me reveal to you what I want to do, and then I want to see what you do with your own heart in the meantime while you wait for my fulfillment. Joseph. Joseph now has some intense training and preparation ahead of him where God's going to discover what Joseph is made of. Moses, in Acts chapter 7, it says that Moses, when he was 40 years old, he knew that God had called him to deliver the people of Israel. So what did he do? He went out and he killed an Egyptian, and he got kicked out of town. And it wasn't until 40 years later that God showed up and said, okay, now's the time. You heard me correctly, but now's the time. David, his anointed king as a teenager, and then what happened? He was not king. In fact, the king tried to kill him for the next decade or so. God-given dreams are a God-given test. God will show you a picture of what he wants to do, and then we'll watch as your heart either becomes more attached to that thing or to him. Number three, dreams from God are known by God's fulfillment. It's one of the ways that we know as we follow God as a priority, as we submit to him as number one, as pursuing him as our greatest ambition, inside of that context, one of the ways that we know that something is from God is that God brings it about. Just as reliably as God fulfills all of the dreams that come from him, it is also reliable that no one can prevent him from doing so. So the brothers take Joseph and toss him into the pit and then end up selling him and say, now we will see what happens with his dreams, not realizing that they're actually setting the stage for the fulfillment of those dreams. One of my favorite uh, interactions between God and man in scripture is when God finally shows up to Moses 40 years later after he thought he heard from the Lord. It didn't work out. He got kicked out of town. He's in the wilderness for 40 years, and he says, well, I guess I didn't hear from God about delivering my people. God shows up. Exodus 3, he says, therefore, come now. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Now's the time. So that you may bring my people the sons of israel out of egypt and moses said god who am i that i should go to pharaoh that i should bring the sons of israel out of egypt because remember he had already tried and god said to him certainly i will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it was in fact me who gave you this plan this dream many years ago when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship me here in this mountain. He says, okay, I'm gonna give you a sign so that you'll know that this is from me. When you show back up here with three million people, that will be the sign. (laughs) The fulfillment of God's dreams are the proof that they were from God. The message from our culture that has, been, that has been or latched on to Christian thinking, especially for young people, is this idea that any, any vision of my future that I carry in my heart, I have a moral imperative to make the accomplishment of that my highest priority. And I would say, if you want to do damage to your own life and the people around you, then go for it. I would humbly suggest you keep God as your highest priority while holding those dreams in your heart to see what he does. Be faithful. Walk in obedience. Go after what's in front of you. This is not about dream crushing. It's actually about dream expanding. Our visions for our own future are too small. This is about better dreams, dreams from God about what he wants to do in us. Ephesians three twenty. now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, according to his spirit in us, transforming us and qualifying us for the things that he's called us to. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. God, I know that there are people in this room right now who have things that you have revealed to them, you have placed on their heart, you have spoken to them about what lays ahead. And I know even in those things, uh, we see some things clearly and other things we don't see clearly. Other things are left mystery. And yet I know from my own experience how how quickly I become attached to the way that I think it's going to go and should go. And then I try my best to bring you in line with that. We want to stop doing that. We want to bring ourselves in alignment with you as a first priority and then see you miraculously bring about the things that you have promised. And so we submit ourselves to you. We we place you as King and Lord over our lives. We come before you with humble hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.